Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by site co-experts Lucas Johnson and Chris Klein. Welcome to another episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Johnson. I'm here with Uriah Young as my co-host today. Sadly, Chris was unable to come on uh, for our podcast, but we have a very special guest today. We have the great Keith Pompey of The Inquirer on, on, on our podcast today as a special guest. We are very appreciative of Keith coming on, talking with us. So we're going to cover an array of topics but first, I'm going to hand the reins over to Uriah because there's a very particular topic that we want to talk about. And we kind of glanced over it last week and it didn't sit right with us that we glanced over. We kind of just we went straight into basketball and we want to talk about the, the issues in America pertaining to sports as pertaining to all Americans that needs to be addressed. So, so Uriah, go ahead. Take it away. Sure. Thanks, Lucas. We have the man uh, himself, Keith Pompey, on beat writer for the Sixers. And like Lucas just said, this is going to be a special podcast. I mean, we're all excited that the NBA is returning in July, but this is something that we cannot gloss over. We're part of history right now. We're living it. When it comes to the issues that have been going on around the country, Keith, something uh, unique happened with you last week, and we saw that you tweeted it out. Uh, recently, you tweeted out how some journalists of color from the Philadelphia Inquirer, have been frustrated with certain conditions at the newspaper. Uh, there was a sick and tired protest where people didn't show up for work one day. Can you elaborate on what initiated that decision for you guys to protest? And what do you hope this accomplishes in the future? Yeah, I can elaborate on that. I think the thing that really started the uh, protest was basically a headline that we had in the paper. It was a headline that said, Buildings Matter Too. And um, a lot of us thought that headline was um, very insensitive. And, um, you know, when you look at the Philadelphia Inquirer, you know, within the city, you know, the city has a huge African-American population, right? And then it also has a lot of, you know, Latin American people as well. 
And when we go out and we do our jobs, you know, we're, we're an extension of that community. And we felt like that we let the community down right there. And with that being said, it's hard to go into a community where people trust you, where, where, where they think that you're an extension of them. And after a situation like that, you know what I mean? How can you explain it? And there was a lot of, there were a lot of people, people of color who were disappointed, but not just the people of color. There were a lot of colleagues um, who were white who were also disappointed in the headline. So we felt like, you know, it was a chance to take a stand, um, you know, just to express ourselves. Now, it wasn't a thing where me personally, I was looking at it as, hey, we want the editor to step down. No, the, the guy, Stan Winiski, he just uh, resigned over it, uh, what was it, yesterday. He was a great guy. But what, what I wanted was, I just wanted people to be heard or wanted us to be heard. Um, and I just wanted us to be, you know, use solidarity, you know, for this. But there are some people who have some issues with the paper. Um, they would like to see, you know, more minorities, more people of color. But to me, the thing was basically dealing with all the stuff that we're going through right now with the uh, George Floyd stuff. I did not want, you know, that headline to be in the paper to make people think of the Enquirer because of that headline. Right. I think the the idea of listening, whether it's editors or managers anywhere. And if you're not a person of color, it's so important to be cognizant of the times. It's a very volatile situation out there. And you guys exercised your right. You, you protested. And, and I did read the article on Huffington Post mm -hmm. about uh, people stepping in saying, we're going to volunteer our time for you if you don't get mm -hmm. paid. And you mentioned solidarity. I think now more than ever, that's something that we need, whether it's at a newspaper or whether it's basketball, you know, and I'm sure you saw yesterday, Keith, and you too, Lucas, how uh, everyone was marching and, and it was peaceful. My next question, Keith, has to do with some of the 76ers players putting mm -hmm. themselves out there. I mean, I was inspired. I don't know about you guys, but my question mm -hmm. to you is, um, how did you feel when you saw Tobias Harris and Matisse Thibel and even Cal Lowry was out there in City Hall? What was your initial thoughts watching them? You know, I, I was actually, um, you know, happy. I mean, happy for them. I mean, because, you know, first of all, Kyle's a guy from Philly. I mean, you know, it's just share some stuff. Like my, my cousin was a high school teammate with Kyle. So I've known him for years. And I always get amazed at the, the young man that he's grown into, right? Now, Tobias, you know, Tobias is one of those guys to me who – He's always giving back. He's always giving back. I mean, you know, that's the one thing that amazes me. Like Tobias doesn't come from, you know, the quote unquote inner city. You know, his father had, his father was a very successful businessman. They had things, but they always gave back. They always made, you know, made a difference. So I wasn't surprised with him, nor when you know the type of guy Matisse Thibel is. Now, the thing is, some people do it because it looks good, you know, because they want to get the recognition. Those three guys did it because it really meant something to them. You know, Matisse was walking around with a 
vote sign. Like he wants people to go out there and vote. So when you look at that, you say to yourself, like, wow. I mean, because all three of them, you know, these guys, they would be successful if it wasn't because of basketball. You know, just knowing them, especially, you know, especially uh, Matisse. I mean, Matisse is like, you know, this guy's a genius, basically. He's special. You know, he's very special. Now, I'm not knocking anything against the other two. They are, too. But, like, the thing is, when you look at all three of them, it's one of those things where they've always been given back. And Kyle, you know, Kyle does not play for the Sixers, but you talk to a lot of people within the communities that he's from in Philly, and they always talk about the things that he does that people don't know about because he doesn't play for the team and we don't report it. Now, my next question before we move on to Sixers basketball has to do with solutions. And I mentioned that mm-hmm. earlier. I think it's, it's paramount that we, we, we mourn the death of George Floyd and we, we honor uh, all the people who have risked their lives protesting and, and all the first responders and the hospital workers. I mean, people are really coming together now more than ever, probably even more than the civil rights movement. And I've heard people say who lived during that time. So my question to you, Keith, is when it comes to solutions to bring back peace and to go beyond understanding and just bringing people together. What, what would you think would be something that, you know, maybe the NBA could do or, or just us as citizens itself? How can, we, how can we move on past this in a positive way? You know, in, in regards to the NBA, you know, the, the NBA, I, I guess they could implement some things, but I don't even think the problem is with the NBA, so to speak. You know, I, I think, you know, the NBA is so many minorities, so many, uh, you know, black players and stuff like that, to where I don't think that the problem lies there. I, I think that what we have to do is, you know, right now, to me, the first step is realizing that we do have a problem. You know, I think a lot of people think, uh, and, 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 you know, we talked about this before, where people, you know, say on Facebook, you say something and next thing you know, they attack you or they'll call you a racist or they'll say, hey, man, why black lives matter? All lives matter. So with that being said, you know, you have to educate them that you're saying, like, I'm not saying that white lives don't matter. I'm what I'm trying to say is that our lives matter, too. And people have to understand that they have certain rights or, 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 or they're in certain uh, benefits that African-Americans don't have. And I think that based on all these protests that a lot of people are seeing that nowadays, right? So with that going on, that, that's a step. Now, secondly, I think that, you know, what we need to do is we need to uh, address some other things. I think that police officers need to be some police officers need to be policed because right now the cops who are doing these racist things for the most part are a minority a small minority but people look at it like it's the majority so what you have to do is you have to figure out and you have to you have to go in there and you have to dig deep and you got to like like i guess scrub the police i mean you just have to go out there and find out who the racist cops are and get them out of there you know what I mean? Because that stuff that happened in Minneapolis wasn't good. Now, my, my dad was over uh, on Thursday or Friday, 
And my dad is a retired police officer. He used to walk the beat down on Broad in Susquehanna. I was born and raised in Philly, by the way, Keith. Um, mm-hmm. And he was telling me how disappointed he was, uh, obviously with the racial tensions that have always been in America, but how you know the police have gotten this this um, this stigma of just all cops are bad or all cops are racist when we clearly know that is not the truth. However, there has to be some police reform. Um, the leaders of our cities and our counties, something has to be done. Now, in terms of laws and policies being passed, that's going to take a while. But in the meantime, I, I would hope that that trust between citizens of color, particularly in the black community, that somehow, some way, there could be a bridge built to build that trust because we, we need police officers. My dad served in, in the military. He became a cop and, and he was my hero growing up. I'm actually going to, I actually reached out Keith and Lucas to a man named Bobby White. He's a police officer from Florida who got the attention of Shaquille O'Neal and he has the Basketball Cop Foundation. So I reached out to him and I interviewed him three years ago. So I had him on my cell phone. So I think, you know, if I were to add my two cents in terms of what could be done in the meantime, while this social change and policies were waiting on that to happen, I think we have to rebuild that trust with with the black community and the police because it's it's not going to get any better if it's just us versus them yeah you're right and see here's the thing like you talk about your 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 father being a police officer when i when this george floyd stuff happened you know it was a lot of hurt for me just because of how i grew up right and um i have like I have police officers in my family. My uncle was one, he had a daughter. Um, my cousin, she became a police officer. You know, I have guys I went to high school with who are police officers, but it just seems like with the racial profile, and it didn't happen with a lot of officers. It was just some bad cops, right? When I, when I, when this George Floyd stuff happened, to me, it just brought back some old memories. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I'm glad that you mentioned like how, about your father and that there are some good cops. Because in my community, I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm older than you. When in my community, when I was growing up, it was like we all thought like the cop was the police officer was the enemy. You know, and it got to a point. I remember when my mom, I mean, I was a preteen and 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 um my mom was like, hey, like we saw a cop on a horse. And my mom walked me over there to talk to him just so I can realize that they all weren't that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But then I remember it was times when, you know, something would happen. Like I remember one time a guy in, in my high school was robbed and he said two black guys got him, robbed him. So the cop rolled up on me and another of my, my, my high school friends um, or another high school friend. And we were like, whoa, 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 what's going on? So to me, you know, it was a lot of like racial profiling, a lot of fear and a lot of stuff that went on with that. So I think that when you see what happens with Floyd, a lot of it brings back a lot of hurt. But we all have to realize that that's the minority of the police. You know, there's a lot of cops like, you know, I'm assuming your father became a cop because he wanted to make a difference. Oh, yeah. You know, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I get that. And I think that 
that's a dialogue that we all have to have. We have to do that, you know? Yeah, black, white, Asian, it doesn't matter. Everybody's, everybody's involved in this because um, if we don't do something and we don't do it fast, then things are going to continue to crumble. Hey, Lucas, man, we didn't forget about you, man. Um, no, 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 no. It's, it's okay, guys. You know, you guys are both African-American males. You guys, this is a subject very close to you guys. I'm an Italian and Irish descent from Sussex County, Delaware. I'm not, <laughs> I never had this type of exposure growing up, but I, I ended up marrying an African-American woman. We have a biracial daughter together. And since then, since I've met her, I've definitely been exposed to a lot of racial injustices in our area. We live in the mounds outside of Lynchburg, Virginia, and it's mind blowing to me, honestly. And, you know, my wife has to remind me that because we have a biracial daughter, we have to be a little bit more, I guess the word would be sensitive because other people are very quick to judge biracial children. And it's not fair. And, you know, I saw something on Facebook that got me really upset. And I forget where it was, but it was like a picture of Facebook conversation where somebody said biracial children aren't as smart as regular, you know, white or black children. And that got me mad. You know, you guys talk about solutions. And I think one solution that the NBA can offer is that, as you guys know, the coaches, coaches committee that got together, thanks to Lloyd Pierce, former Sixers assistant, and they're trying to look for solutions in each town. What I think would be a great idea if these coaches, especially the African-American coaches, is that they get together with the police departments of each of these major cities monthly to have like discussions, maybe like a luncheon or something, kind of like what like Brett a town Brown hall, does. right? Like yeah, a yeah, yeah, kind of like what Brett, Down, Brett Brown does with the media during uh, the off season. I think that would be cool. I think that could help a lot. And maybe have the players come in for these town halls too, get to know these players. I think that would help bridge the community a lot better too. So, guys, I think we're ready to move on to some NBA talk. We won't solve all the world's problems, but at least we can bring it up and, and shed some light and hope that things will get better. So, Lucas, man, let's take it away. Let's shift gears. Most definitely, man. Let's just shift it to basketball because basketball, it's back, or at least that's the plan right now. So, oh, Keith, yeah. I have a question for you. Do, do you think that the Sixers were the team that benefited the most from this break? Mm, I, you know, I don't uh, – that's a, that's a tough question um, because when you look at the, a team like the, the New Orleans Pelicans – or even if you think about the Boston Celtics, I mean, they had a couple injuries. But I get what you're saying with the Sixers in regards to Ben Simmons and then giving Joel a little bit of rest. My only concern is, and I'm hearing that Joel has been, you know, in pretty good shape and been working out. But my concern is typically after a long break, Joel has tended to come back out of shape, Right. So as much as he's been working out, you know, we've been hearing he's been working out, I just want to see it. I mean, I want to see what he looks like. I want to, I want to you know, I just want to see some things with him. And in regards with Ben Simmons, I know they're saying that everything is fine with his back. But what I want to see is I want to see how he reacts after getting hit in the back in the game. Because we also thought that against Milwaukee that everything was going to be fine. 
And then next thing you know, he only plays four games in this return against the Milwaukee Bucks to his back. So, again, I get what you're saying. It sounds good, and we all say that. But I want to see, A, what type of shape Embiid is in, and, B, I would like to see, you know, if, if Ben could take some contact to that back. Keith, I think those are fair points there, and I honestly, I do, I am concerned about Joel's health more than I am more concerned about Joel and B being out of shape than I am about Ben's back. Though so I think it's a fair point because you know one bad hit could could irritate that injury again. But yeah, no, Joel and B's health, uh, you know, physical shape is important. But I think that's why we have those eight games to buffer into until we get into the playoffs. But yeah, I think that's a fair concern, definitely. Yeah. So the next question, Keith, uh, has to do with their current opportunity to advance even further than last year and the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question to you is, how differently do you think the Sixers will approach the playoffs this year compared to the past two years? Hmm. You know what? I, I think that they're probably going to go about it the same way, to be honest with you, in regards to their approach. I think that if you look at what they were trying to do this year throughout and you saw those different lineups and tinkering it with this and that, I think that he was trying, Brett Brown, he is being Brett Brown, was trying to like assimilate certain things early on, getting in play. I think that what we'll see is, I mean, the main question to me right now is who's going to be the eighth guy or who are going to be your top eight? You know, are are you going to play Matisse Thibel or is that just going to be a situational thing? You know, I think that now, again, this is just my opinion. I think that he realizes that uh, Al Horford and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid aren't can't mix. He realizes that Ben Simmons isn't going to launch a lot of threes. So with that being said, it looks like that Ben Simmons best position will be point forward you know what I mean like in years past he still had him as a point guard and then at the last couple games last year in the playoffs he slid him down I think initially he's going to go out there and 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 attack it you know as you know and and have shake Milton now the big difference is the first two years they had more shooters more accomplished shooters on the floor you know you had JJ Reddick you had Ersan Ilvasova and Marco Bellinelli the first year. This year, the difference is, you know, you still got to try to figure out what your new guys can do. You know, what can Alec Burks do? Like, can he step up and be that guy that you think he can be? I mean, is is Furkan Korkmaz going to be able to be consistent when the bright lights come on? So to me, those are, if there's going to be differences, those uh, uncertainties are going to be it. And also, What's going to happen to Shake Milton? Like, Shake Milton has been playing extremely well, but is he still going to be able to play at a high level in the playoffs when everything it becomes more magnified? So right now and there, there are some uncertainties, but in regards to, quote-unquote, changing the game plan, I think what we've seen the last two years are some kind of similar, some of the things. Now, the one adjustment, again, is starting out having been playing point forward. You know what I mean? Having them do that. Yeah, actually, one of my recent articles, 
that probably it got a lot of attention. The question, the title of the article was, uh, is Ben Simmons, should he play point guard in mm-hmm. a traditional sense? And my opinion was that if you take Shake Milton and insert him into the starting lineup, you just see a tremendous difference in terms of how the spacing is. And then with Shake, you have another you have another shooter on the floor. You have someone that can put the ball on the floor when the clock shot is running down. So I think it was interesting you said that they probably won't change too much, but just finding minutes and seeing who's going to yeah. step up, that's going to be the most interesting thing yeah. to me. So, yeah, Keith, I, I tend to agree. And I think I think what Uriah said, I think, play, you know, having been off the ball would probably and what you and your eye both said, having been off the ball to begin with would be wise. And you bring up a good question. Who is going to be the eight guys? Cause I don't see Brown, uh, Brett going, you know, nine or 10 deep in the playoffs. He doesn't usually do that. So it's going to be interesting who those three guys are and having Horford come off the bench. That will be interesting too. And I actually wrote about something recently to piggyback off of your eyes about how the, how dangerous the backcourt of shake Milton and Josh Richardson can be if we if Shake can play up to the level that he had been showing, that could be a dangerous backcourt right there. So oh, of course, of course, it I, can. It can. So I think yeah. So I think that would be interesting. But you kind of already answered my next question. But I kind of want you maybe you can go in a little bit more detail. Should the starting lineup change once the regular season continues? You kind of already hinted at that. Do you want to explain that a little bit more? No, nah, yeah, I think it should be the same. I mean. Right now, because the the problem is the game is going to be more of a half-court game, right? And mm-hmm. so I think that what – well, if I was the head coach, this is what I would do. I would say, Ben – I would tell everybody, Ben Simmons is still my point guard. I would say that Shake Milton is the, is the three, right? I would just say that. But then next thing you know, there will be certain times where Ben brings the ball up. But basically what I'll have is – I'll have Ben standing at the high post. Shake Milton will walk it up. His his initial pass is always going to be to Ben Simmons, and Ben Simmons is going to quarterback the gym. And then as soon as Shake um, gives the ball to Ben, he goes out in the perimeter, and that way he can create some spacing. And then the thing is, you know, with Ben doing that, you know, Ben Simmons can also play small ball center if you if you like. Um, power forward, um, you know, Al Horford would, would be a, a, a great backup for the Sixers. And then without playing with them, you can run through him a lot, you know, and then he can be a quarterback through the gym as well. You know, but then the question is, like we said, I mean, I'm not to, not to go on about the starters or ex- extend stuff. The question to me is who are going to be the guys who play with them? When, when I first think about it, because Shake has proven that he's going to be a starter, or he could be a starter, to me, I think you have to have shooters. You have to have scorers. So those two guys are Burkan Korkmaz and Alec Burks. So then you have to decide, are you going to play Matisse Thibel, even though he gives you a lot on the defensive end. But I think that from the offensive standpoint, you're going to want Alec and you're going to want um, Furkan Korkmaz. Okay, so Keith, I'm, I'm sure you've seen all of the reports from Woj, and you know how it's going to be played out in Orlando in the next next month and a half. And we were interested in your thoughts on the actual format, having the 22 teams 
as opposed to 16 and then have having those uh, teams that on the cusp of making the playoffs, having kind of a, a playoff system. What, what do you think about it? You know what, man? I'm just happy that they're bringing basketball back. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I did, I did a podcast a couple of days ago and the guy was debating me saying, Keith, this isn't good. This isn't good. And I'm like, dude, I don't care. I just want basketball back. And, and when you look at it, like if you, if we really want to be you know, honest and everything, I get it. You know, these teams in the Western conference that are coming back, you're talking about the Portland trailblazers, the Phoenix suns, the Sacramento Kings, the new Orleans Pelicans, all these teams are close to making it, right? But another thing is all those teams have superstars, young superstars. If it's Zion Williamson for New Orleans, if it's Damon Lillard for Portland, you know what I mean? If it's, you know, Phoenix's young stars. So to me, it, it, it makes for great television. It makes for a lot of intrigue. So you know what? Let them come. Let them play because the league is trying to make money. Um, these guys are close to making the playoffs. So let's just let, let them get out there and, and see what they can do. Lucas, what do you think? I think it's going to be fun. I think, you know, having the Wizards come – you know what? I'll say this. If the Wizards get John Wall back at even 80% of what John Wall was, I think they have a chance to come in. We know for a fact, based off of Kevin Durant's own words, that him and Kyrie aren't coming back. So the Nets might be in trouble. I'm not completely sold on Orlando either. And if John Wall and Bradley Beal come back, that could be a great race in the West. And I don't think either Toronto or Milwaukee want to see John Wall and Bradley Beal in the first round. I'm not saying that they wouldn't win, but it would be a much harder matchup for them. In the West, I think it's going to be fun. I think, personally, my favorite to come out of the West is probably going to be the Blazers. I think they can give – LeBron the toughest time in the first round as well which I think would make great TV even though Zion's the bigger name so I think it could be a lot of fun I'm excited about it I'm okay with the format I think you could probably gotten away with 20 teams but you want to give the East uh, Eastern Conference owners something so you expand it to six the six teams you know make sure uh, make sure that you have uh, the Wizards in there so I get it and I'm okay with it like he said it's, it's going to be good for money it's going to be good it's, it helps uh you know, regular season play as well, because some of these teams they're not going to see in the playoffs, and I think that's fine too. Yeah, I can't wait to see our team suited up again out there playing. It's going to be fun, um, but it's going to be interesting to see what Zion Williamson is going to do if they make it in. That kid is is special and and uh, kind of reminds me of a, a version of Charles Barkley. I remember growing up watching Charles Barkley on Prism back in the day, um, but he just really has so many tools and he's so raw and young but it's going to be fun like you said Keith I'm just happy to have basketball too and we're definitely uh, very fortunate because it looks like some other sports are struggling with their negotiations man speaking of the playoffs you know potential return to play and then we obviously have the playoffs Keith which team do you think the Sixers should want to see in the first round if wow the team that they would want to see in the first round I, I think if I'm the Sixers, I want to see the Boston Celtics in the first round. And my reasoning is, you know, I'm still scared. If I'm the Sixers, I'm still scared of that zone that Miami's going to unveil against. Oh. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I think that, you know, before when we were talking, you know, I think that a lot has to do with uh, Joel and B. 
when I look at the Boston Celtics, I don't see anyone at the five spot who can stop them. Now, I know that Ernest Cantor has had success with him in the past and in, in like regular season games in years past. But I think in the playoffs, I don't see anyone on that team that can match up with them. And I think that if I'm the Sixers, I really want to take advantage of that mismatch. I really do. But um, as far as Indiana, you know, I don't really like the Indiana matchup with them because of their bigs. Um, I don't like Eric, the Eric Spolstra matchup and, and Jimmy Butler being motivated in that zone. So I, I just think that right now, that of those teams that the Sixers could possibly face, I think that um, the Boston Celtics would be the best matchup for them. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I, I've for the exact same reasons. Boston's bigs cannot match up against Embiid. If we have a healthy, in shape, focused Embiid, he's going to tear them apart. There and while Jason Tatum has become is becoming a superstar, Ben Simmons is more than capable of playing solid defense on him. And Jalen Brown is going to be a tough matchup, but I like Josh Richardson against him. And I also like Jake Milton. I mean, Kemba Walker might be the X factor, but I'm, I don't think Kemba Walker is going to be super effective based off of his size because we see in past playoffs, small guards have a hard time being effective in the playoffs, especially against bigger teams. So I'm not too worried about Kemba. And then you talk about the Indiana Pacers. You're right. Their two, their two bigs are, are very special. So I don't think Embiid would have an easy time with them. And then if Victor Oladipo comes back 80% of what he was, you know, two seasons ago, that's scary, along with Malcolm Brogdon. T.J. Warren's no joke. And then, as you said, with Miami, that's just a bad matchup. That is a bad matchup. And then you look through the second round, if we get matched up in the five against Miami, four or five against Miami, or if we don't, if we don't stay in the six, we have to face the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round. That's not what we want. We want to see them in the finals. And we, I'd rather see, see the Raptors in the second round versus the Bucks. So that's that's my thoughts on it. Uh, Uriah, you, any thoughts you want to share? Yeah, real quick, I just want to say I agree with you both in that I don't want any parts of Miami. They're a rough matchup for us. And Keith was talking about Keith was talking about the zone that they had to deal with. I don't think they want to see that team in the playoffs. Uh, if I had my choice between Boston and Indiana, I might have to disagree with you guys and go with Indiana. I just think that something about Boston, it just, it scares me. Something about how they play and Brad Stevens being such a phenomenal coach. Uh, I, I think I would roll the dice and, and, and take that matchup with the Pacers. That's just me. Although TJ Warren does, he get, he goes off on us. I don't know what it is about him, but he, he lights us up for some reason. Let's pivot. And the next question, Keith, mm-hmm. has to do with, the man himself, the coach, and there's always speculation, all this talk before the coronavirus hit, oh, if he's not going to be here if this happens, or he'll be here if this happens. At this point, knowing what we know, that they're coming back in a modified schedule and format in a neutral venue, win or lose in the playoffs, will Brett Brown still likely have his job next year? You know... When we say win, are we saying win a championship? I would say, in in my definition, they may not have to win the championship for him to stay, but let's say advance further than they've 
done the past two years? Let's say Eastern Conference Finals, they get there. Uh, I think if they lose in the Eastern <laughs> Conference Finals, he could still lose his job. I think if they get to the finals, they'll say, okay, well, maybe, maybe we have something here. Because okay. what he'll come back and say is, look, I got these guys playing well. You know, we need to make a little bit of tweaks to the roster or what have you. You know, I, I, I'm, everything is working out. But I think that if they don't get to the finals, I mean, I, th I think we could possibly see him lose his job. I mean, I, I, I do. I mean, because what, what's happening is what they're thinking about is look at how they struggled right before the season ended. Now, again, I know they defeat, defeated Detroit, but they had a horrible loss to the Golden State Warriors. This team struggled mightily on the road. And then when you look at it, you know, you, you look at how much money Al Horford is making. You look at how much money Ben Simmons is about to make. Tobias Harris is making. Joel Embiid. You know, these guys are going to be hard to trade. So when you make a change, typically it's the coach. And it might not always be his fault. It's not Brett Brown's fault that Al Horford doesn't fit. But at the same time, there's always a fall guy. And I believe if they don't make it to the championship, Brett Brown's going to be that fall guy. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that. I think Brown's probably going to be the fall guy. And it's, and I've written in the past that I think the, the raw, you know, most of those Sixers struggles this season has to be, be on Elton Brand for his free agency this past summer. He, you know, it was, you know, when, when it first happened, we thought the moves were okay, but honestly, it just hasn't panned out. Like you said, Al Horford hasn't been a fit. And like you said, I think it takes a NBA Finals, you know, visit. You know, they don't have to win at all, but they, they have to at least get to the NBA Finals or else there's a chance he could lose his job. Because like you said, the Eastern Conference Finals, that might not be enough, especially if they lose it in horrific fashion, like a, you know, 4-0 or 4-1 series. So... I'm going to agree with you on that one, Keith. I think that's, that's a, definitely a fair assumption. I, I, in the perfect world, Brett Brown would ride off into the sunset with Embiid and Simmons, and they'd win a championship together this year. It's highly unlikely, but I just, I really, I mean, a lot of people say they love Brett Brown. I love the culture that he's trying to bring. Um, he's endured so much over the past, I don't know, seven, eight years. I would love to see him win, but like you guys said, if 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 they don't go to the finals and they don't really show growth, then he will be the fall guy. So yeah, we're we're talking about Brett Brown potentially leaving the team, but what other offseason moves do you think Elm Brown absolutely has to do this offseason in order to fix the problems with this roster? You know, a lot of people want him to trade Al Horford. I think that's gonna be hard. I mean, I do just because of his contract. I mean, if he could get somebody that could take it, that would be great. But I think it's going to be hard. But um, I, I think that, you know, right now, a lot is going to depend on what they think they have, they have in Shake Mill. And I think if they feel as if they can go with Shake Milton moving forward as far as, you know, keeping this vital role that he's about to have, then they probably won't go out and get another combo guard, so to speak, right? Then you could focus on something else. But the main thing is 
the question mark is what are you going to do with Zaire Smith? You know, are you going to, you know, basically try to include him in the trade? That way you can try to bring someone else in here. Because, I mean, right now, you know, you're looking at a first-round pick. A guy who I like, I think that he's really hasn't had an opportunity to show what he can do. But let's face it, there's a roster spot that they could use. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to try to do with, with that person? You know, I think that right now the moves that they people think they can make in regards to, you know, quote-unquote getting rid of Al Horford or – or, or trading Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid, I don't, I don't think they can do that. Or even Tobias, you know, Tobias um, Harris right now. So I think that they're going to have to tweak and go, get with the draft and 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 try to get like guys with minimum deals or or mid level exceptions. But I, I don't really see them, you know, being able to make a blockbuster move. I can, I could be wrong, but I just don't see it. I think that they're tied up. So there's a lot to unpack that you said there. And while I think it will be hard to move Al Horford, if he has a solid, you know, showing as a backup center in the playoffs, which I think is totally possible, then I think you have a chance to move him. And I recently wrote, and I'll send you the link later, Keith, but um, Mm -hmm. I wrote wrote an article about five possible destinations that I had for Al Horford. Golden State was one of them. Obviously, Sacramento, there's been – ties to him in Sacramento in the past. Oh, the Houston was another one. And I can't remember the other teams that I had. I, like I said, I assumed you, you had Detroit. Uh, Detroit no, I had Cleveland. I had oh, Cleveland, Cleveland as yeah. yeah. Yeah, because they might if Andre Drummond leaves, I could see them possibly targeting him then. But that that's a what if situation. But my my point is this is that I think Al Horford is, you know, given the right situation, but you're right, it's going to be hard to move him. And you bring up Zaire Smith, and you're right, it, they probably would have to package him to get something in return. And while I think Zaire Smith has shown a lot of growth in the Blue Coats, you know, I've been following, I follow the Blue Coats a lot, and uh, I got to go to a game last year, uh, this past season, which was great. I just, sadly, Zaire wasn't there, though. I saw a shake there, <laughs> and Chris uh, Kumaj. Price Kumaji, Keith, let me tell you, I, I was impressed with what I saw, and I really hope he gets a two-way contract this summer. How tall but is he? Is he, he what, is seven three? Seven four, I think, right? Wow. But you know, he's really good defensively. But that's not that's not not where I'm going with on this. I think Zaire Smith needs a chance, but you're right. He might just be packaged as a, just a way to get add talent. And I think you're right on that. I think in the draft. One player I think the Sixers need to target is Tyrell Terry. He's kind of reminds me of a sh- smaller Landry Shamit. And the fact that he's just an elite three-point shooter, you can have him run off screens, spot up, whatever you need him to do. I like Tyrell Terry for the Sixers. I think that could be a strong offseason move. But So that's, you know, that's where I stand on it. And I think you're right that it will be hard to move out Horford, though I don't, don't think it's completely impossible. Hey Lucas, don't tease me with that whole Landry Shamit thing. I, I miss that guy. I, yeah, he's a player. Check out he's check out Tyrell Terry. I'm telling you, man. Uriah, check, check him out. I've seen his highlight videos. I've, and I've seen his out. stats. He's very good. So peep this, guys. I do have one one more thing before I read the outro. Guys, it's Allen Iverson's birthday. So I want to give a shout out to AI. 
Uh, I think he turned 45 today. Let's go to the iconic moment where he stepped over Tyron Lue in the finals. I want to know what you guys were doing when that <laughs> happened. I know it was many, many moons ago, but yeah, what, what were you guys doing? What do you remember from that? Well, me personally, at that point, I was uh, living in Myrtle Beach. I was working at the uh, Sun newspaper in Myrtle Beach, mm-hmm. and I was over a friend's house. And uh, when he did that, I was like, oh, snap, oh, snap. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, go ahead, AI, go ahead, AI. You know, and I'm up there talking about, oh, yeah, the Sixers are going to be able to win this. They're going to be able to win this tournament after that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, you will win the finals after that. But, uh, yeah, I remember watching it, and it was funny because, you know, the Lakers were the national team, but it just seemed like a lot of people were pulling for AI and they were pulling for the Sixers, be, you know, because of AI, you know. But, yeah, I remember that vividly. I remember, like, talking trash over my friends. So I was, I was actually, get this, guys, I was actually in Hampton, Virginia, watching the finals. Uh, I was, I attended Hampton University. And Iverson used to actually come down to the campus and ride around in his Bentley. And I used to run into him in the weirdest places. Um, I ran into AI at Walmart at two in the morning one time. He had the biggest bag of Cheetos you could ever imagine. And then I saw him, saw him at Hooters one time with his family. And so I was in Virginia watching it. And when he made that move, I mean, the game itself was remarkable. I mean, the shots that he was making and, how they just snuck in there and just really just took over that game in the fourth quarter. And when he stepped over Lou, like you said, Keith, he's just, what did he just do that? And that's just one of those, those moments in NBA history, forget Sixers history, NBA history. That's just going to be iconic. And it's going to be around for decades. Lucas, were you even alive when that happened? Okay, first, <laughs> okay. First off, I'm 27. I, okay, yes, I know you both of you guys are much older than me. Yes, I was 27, but sadly, I was not a basketball fan at that point. I became a basketball fan when I hit my growth spurt, which was in fifth grade, which was like a year later. So I didn't even start watching basketball at that point. So sadly, I was not a part of the iconic moment. I apologize to our listeners. Right. You young. always got YouTube, man. You can watch I know. And, I, and you know, I did. I have watched it since. <laughs> and I'm not, you know, I, I feel like I'm being judged here, guys. I was nine. Okay. Okay. I, no, okay. I, needed, a, I needed a number. Okay. Nine years old. Okay. You were Actually, no, I was eight. I was eight. All right. I think that's it for now, guys. Um, we want to thank the man himself, Mr. Keith Pompey. Thank you for giving us your time tonight. Thank you for covering the Sixers as, as well as you do. And, and, uh, and thank you for expressing yourself on such a relevant and uh, important topic. Uh, so thanks again, Keith. Hey, man, thanks for having me on the show. I really enjoyed sitting here talking with you guys tonight. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks again, Keith. I appreciate you coming out. Hopefully we can have you back again soon. You said any time. I'm going to hold you to that. So. <laughs> We very much appreciate you coming out, covering not only basketball topics, but also important topics uh, pertaining to the state of our country and to the African-American community especially. So thank you again. We hope to have you on again soon. Hopefully Chris can be on the next time, but thank you so much. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks, man. All right, guys. So here we are. We want to thank to all the listeners who took the time to check out the Sixers Sense podcast. 
with Lucas and myself and our guest, Keith Pompey. Be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spreaker, or anywhere else that you're listening. And we look forward to giving you some more Sixers talk next week. On behalf of the Sixers Sense, this is Uriah Young and Lucas Johnson. Be safe and take care. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.